Healthy Girl Kitchen. I am obsessed with Healthy Girl Kitchen. She's a vegan food blogger and health coach. Invigorating conversations with leading experts. Danielle spends her days helping others improve their health. This is the Healthy Girl Podcast with your host, Danielle Keith. Ladies and gentlemen, her. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Girl Podcast. So glad to be talking to you all today because we have an incredible episode. I think this is definitely in like my top three favorite episodes. The information is purely golden. But before we get into that, I have to tell you the health tip and the cooking tip of the day. As always, let's start with the health tip. Because our episode today is all about brain health, I wanted to remind and encourage you all to eat more plant-based omegas. One of my favorite ways to get more omegas is to eat chia seeds every single day. I've really been trying hard to make a point of this because it can be easy to forget, right? Like we just go about our day, we have the same three meals, we don't really switch it up too much, and we can forget to add things like flax seeds, chia seeds, hemp seeds, pumpkin seeds, sesame seeds, all of these amazing seeds in the plant-based diet that, you know, sometimes it's just easy to forget about. So add them to your toast, put them in your vegan yogurt, add a few tablespoons to a smoothie, make chia pudding, add chia to your oatmeal. You can even sprinkle them on a salad. They're very versatile, so you can really add them to anything sweet or savory. So that's the health tip. Get your chia seeds into your diet. And in our episode, our guests are going to explain why that's so important. But for the cooking tip of the day, this goes right along with the health tip of the day. So I'm going to tell you how to make chia pudding. It's the best breakfast. If you've been following along on my Instagram stories, you've been seeing that I've been making chia pudding pretty much every day. It's amazing for your brain health because of the omega-3 fatty acids. Chia pudding is great for gut health because of the fiber in chia seeds and because it's filled with protein, healthy fats and fiber, it keeps you full for hours. I make my chia pudding with three tablespoons of chia seeds, three-fourths of a cup almond milk, and half or a quarter cup of vegan yogurt. You basically just put it in a jar, mix it together, put it in the fridge overnight, and then in the morning, you have breakfast ready to go. So easy, so yummy. You're going to be obsessed with it. It tastes like dessert. It's so good. Feel free to add in any sweetener, like if If you need like a little bit of maple syrup, maybe a little agave, maybe a little monk fruit extract, whatever you like, you can add vanilla and then you can top it with anything from berries to chopped apple and cinnamon to nuts, maybe a little granola, whatever floats your boat. Okay, I'm going to tell you about our guests for the day because they are simply amazing. So first we have Dr. Dean Shirzai. He is a behavioral neurologist and neuroscientist whose entire life has been dedicated to behavioral change models at the community and population level. He has revolutionized the world of public health nationally and internationally. His wife, Aisha, who is also a brilliant neurologist, she's the co-director of the Alzheimer's Prevention Program at Loma Linda University, where she leads the lifestyle program for the prevention of neurological diseases. She completed a dual training in preventative medicine and neurology at Loma Linda University and a fellowship in vascular neurology and epidemiology at Columbia, and she's a trained plant-based culinary artist. 
I honestly couldn't think of two more qualified individuals to lead this discussion surrounding brain health and diet. They're wildly brilliant and they're highly esteemed in the medical community and we're so lucky to be able to learn from them. We discuss everything today from what foods to avoid to prevent Alzheimer's, what foods you should be eating every day to support brain health, alcohol and its effects on the brain, fats and oils, which ones you should avoid, which ones are okay and healthy, and so much more. So without further ado, let's get into the episode. Hello, welcome to the Healthy Girl Podcast. Hi, how are you? It's so good to see you. Thank you so much for having us. It's so good to talk to you. I just want to jump right in and ask you two how you met Because I think it's so interesting that the both of you are neurologists and the both of you are like this plant-based power couple. So what's the beginning of your story? (laughs) It's uh, It's a long story. It goes back a long time ago. Go ahead. Yeah. So uh, we we met 8,000 miles away in Afghanistan. So prior to there, I was in NIH, National Institutes of Health, doing some really wonky research on brains. Uh, you know, stem cell into the brains and um, growth hormones into the brains. And about 2002, um, uh, Tommy Thompson, uh, Secretary of Health and Human Services and the World Bank, they came to me because I had some public health background, said, uh, we want you to go with us for a short period to Afghanistan to rebuild that country. So I said, you know, it's kind of sounds fun. And uh, so I went there and it was supposed to be three months hiatus for this from this incredible research at NIH. But it turned out to be three years. So I actually stayed there. They, uh, I was asked to become the deputy minister and create the whole, uh, help create entire healthcare system. And a party, Aisha had gone back with Doctors Without Borders. I was volunteering with them during medical school. And we met in the party. Uh, the story, my story is that she came and sat next to me and <laughs> And uh, started flirting with me, but oh, uh, but that that might not be my uh, accurate reflection of the of this. We'll have to hear her side. Yes, exactly. yes, yes. But nonetheless, we started talking, and uh, the first conversation was about our grandparents. Her f- grandfather was a brilliant, brilliant person that everybody knew, and there's uh, pictures of him with Kennedy, um, uh, Columbia trained, Johns Hopkins trained surgeon, um, you know, you name it, prime minister, everything. My grandfather was a very educated uh, person, incredible, brilliant people. And we talked about them and talked about the fact that they died of Alzheimer's or dementia. And um, that was the first conversation. And the fact that we both had interest in neuroscience. I was already done with my training. I was actually past my first fellowship. And Aisha was a medical student. And that, that was that. We parted ways and back and forth and started dating in Afghanistan. And, and then a year later, we were married and decided to come back and rejoined the uh, the journey, we turned plant-based in Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. Of all the places that, you, you know, we turned plant-based there. Um, and the story there is kind of interesting. Um, and for us, there's it's complete transparency. We are plant-based for animals. We're plant-based for the planet. And as it happens, thank goodness, science corroborates. Science cooperates. And where it doesn't, we say, it's okay. We still are plant-based and you can get all your nutrients and everything from uh, from plant-based diet. So we came back to initially to UCSD with Leon Thal, which was the god of science. He, was, he created the number one neuroscience program in, in, the, in the world pretty yeah. much in San Diego, UCSD. Worked with him two years and from there we could have gone anywhere. Boston, you name it, you know, the Ivy. We said, nope, I'm, we're going to take another chance. 
And we said, we're, you know, the clinical trials are great. We've done them. The molecular research, I've done them in NIH and stuff. We wanted to see if there's a way to prevent diseases of the brain, which nobody had looked at. And lo and behold, 70 miles away was Loma Linda, the only blue zone in America. In fact, the only validated blue zones. Blue zones are places around the world where people live the longest and they have the healthiest lives. On average, they live, what, 10 years longer 10 years than longer. the rest of the population. And so when we found out that Loma Linda was, was close by and they had a university and they had a validated study that was going on for decades and they showed that when people eat a certain type of diet, a plant-based diet, they live longer, they have healthier bodies. And so we wanted to study the effect of lifestyle in particular diet on brain health. So that's why we went there. And I did a dual preventive medicine and neurology residency. And then I went to Columbia University to get trained there in vascular neurology. And together, after seeing thousands and thousands of patients and looking at people's lifestyles and doing nutrition research, the results were astounding. And, um, and that's why we decided to, you know, come forth and uh, talk about this on different social realms and spread this message of hope for uh, a devastating disease like Alzheimer's disease. So I feel like that there's this misconception that neurological diseases, cognitive decline are inherited or it's a part of your genetics. Can you touch on that and why <clears throat> that isn't necessarily true? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, um, so, you know, we, we are genetic beings. Uh, we have genes that bring about certain diseases and conditions. And it's an interplay between lifestyle and your genetic pool of what manifests and what doesn't. Um, when it comes to the diseases of the brain, and let's just stick to Alzheimer's. So dementia is the is the umbrella category and Alzheimer's is the main type of dementia. 60 to 70% of all dementias are Alzheimer's disease. So we'll just talk about Alzheimer's specifically. It's not you know, it's not a disease that is pushed by one or two or three genes. It's a polygenic model, which means there are more than 30 genes that are involved in the pathology of Alzheimer's disease. The percentage of patients with Alzheimer's that are heavily driven, that are completely driven by genes are only 3%. 3% of Alzheimer's patients have the strong genes, which means that if they have those genes, if someone has those genes, they will develop it. It's just a matter of time. But for the rest of them, 90 plus percent of them, it's the connection or the uh, synergy between these different types of genes and what we do in our lives. And these are not Alzheimer's genes. These are genes for things like lipid transport or glucose metabolism or waste removal or, you know, inflammation response or oxidation response. So what we do every single day, whether it's the kind of foods we eat or the decisions we make about how to move affects these genes. So if we have poor genes, let's say for lipid transport, then we shouldn't tax them. We should reduce our lipid c consumption, right? Or if we have poor genes for inflammatory response, then we should try our best not to create a lot of inflammation. And that's how it works and that's how it manifests. So what are the main causes that you see of Alzheimer's? The, the main cause, we would say, I mean, at the molecular level, it's, it's uh, lipid fats, saturated fats. And what's the number one source of saturated fats? Animal products, uh, dairy, and, and things of that nature. So reducing, like I just said, ApoE4, the biggest gene in Alzheimer's the more, the, the, with the highest risk is a lipid transporter gene. ApoE4 just does its bad job poorly. 
So there's a joke, you're too young for this, but but uh, I'm actually also too young for this, but I said, come seem to know it. It said that it says, doctor, it hurts when I do this. They're you know, lifting the arm and says, well, what's the cure? He said, don't do that. You know, <laughs> doctor, I have bad genes for lipids. So what's the answer? Don't eat lipids, don't eat saturated fat. Saturated fat is a main driver of cognitive disease, period. When we hear people, influencers out there say, oh, the brain is made of fat, therefore it needs fat. It is so ridiculous that's not even laughable because that's causing damage right. and, and community after community. Why? Because let's be honest, the number one driver of decisions in human beings is confirmation bias. Mm -hmm. Whatever we're born with, for the most of the time, we try to find evidence to support our beliefs, right? That's, so if somebody's a bacon eater, if you're telling him that, there it is. You gave them the material, the information. Uh, people love hearing good news about their bad habits. But if, you, if we disseminate the proper information that a clean, unprocessed, whole food, plant-based diet is by far the most efficient fuel for the brain, the most efficient source of resources and nutrients for the brain, and those defic false deficiency syndromes that they keep creating on the media, which is B12 and choline and this, We've done the research on it. We, we're, we've published dozens of papers. Those are false. And if there is that problem, that's not just plant-based people. It's across the board. And everybody should be aware of it. And if there's lack, replace. But by eating a whole food plant-based diet, you give the brain clean, I mean, incredibly unprocessed and, and uh, sources that will help you build your brain as you get older mm -hmm. instead of decline. So let's dive into fat a little bit can you explain some sources of saturated fat that everyone should stay away from right yes yeah. so most of the saturated fats that we consume come from animal sources so um processed meats red meat of course in different quantities right but even chicken people think white meat is healthier but it's not actually it has the same content of saturated fats if if not a little more than that um, cheeses, dairy products, they all have saturated fats. Um, so consumption of these on a regular basis can increase our cholesterol levels, specifically LDL uh, or low-density uh, lipoprotein, which is closely associated with damage to the vessels, the arteries in our brain, and also damage to the brain itself, the structures of the brain itself. People who have high LDL during their midlife, they have a higher risk of developing Alzheimer's disease and vascular dementia. On the contrary, when we consume lipids or fats that are derived from plants, which are mostly mono and polyunsaturated fats, that essentially is much better because it doesn't really increase LDL like saturated fat does. As a matter of fact, there's some evidence that it regulates LDL receptors. So you actually have more receptors when you consume more mono and polyunsaturated fats. From food sources. From food like sources. Chia so and omega. Right. So we're talking about nuts and seeds and omega, sorry, flax seeds and chia seeds and nuts and extra virgin olive oil. Not too much, again, because these are high calorie foods, right? And especially if somebody is really struggling to lose weight, then they should reduce their calorie intake. But it's the um, switch from saturated fats to unsaturated fat that uh, actually shows a lot of neuroprotective effects. The only so, fat, sorry, the only fat that the brain needs is omega-3s. Right, right. 
So what about a plant-based source of saturated fat like coconut, for example? Yes, exactly. Mm. Thank you for bringing that up. So um, <clears throat> as, as delicious as coconut oil and coconut milk is, they're uh, one of the few sources of very high saturated fat in our diet, um, including palm oil as well. Um, so, you know, as, as unfortunate as it may sound to some people, we've actually, you know, had some people really becoming upset about the fact that they can't eat coconut oil, but it is important to reduce it. There is a consensus that um, for cardiovascular health and for brain health, one should reduce coconut oil as much as possible because 90% of coconut oil is, is saturated fat. So, you know, you have on one hand, coconut oil is something highly processed, very high in fat. Mm -hmm. But let's say someone cracks open a coconut and eats the meat out of it. Like, what's the difference between how that reacts in your body? Huge. I mean, it still has fat, but the concentrated version has a lot more concentrated fat. I mean, yeah. that's by definition what, what happens. So I think, um, we, and this is the story with fruits as well, where we love fruits but not fruit juice because fruit juice takes out all the nutrients, well, most of the nutrients, fiber, fiber, yeah. which is incredibly important. Uh, and, and, uh, and all it leaves behind is sugar. Same thing with these kind of oils. It takes out all the fiber, all the substance, all the nutrients and gives you fat, right? which is, an, uh, which is uh, not beneficial. So eating a whole coconut is amazing. Well, the whole coconut is going to be very difficult. You're going to, you're going to have, <laughs> you, you need some strong teeth to eat a whole coconut. <laughs> the coconut meat. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. So still on the topics of fat, I want everyone to really understand that you're not demonizing fats here because I think unfortunately there is this part of the vegan community, the plant-based community. Some of the doctors do demonize fats and encourage people to not have any fats, but you're saying it's okay to have nuts and seeds and like some avocado and things like chia and hemp and flax seeds. Can you elaborate on that? Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. So, uh, we are very much about science. Mm -hmm. So one of the things we want to do is uh, I, I, I was the director of all research for all residents in Loma Linda. And one of the things I told them is uh, there are no icons. There are no gurus. Even me in front of you, no matter how many degrees I have, you know, they said you had more degrees than a thermostat. It doesn't matter. What matters <laughs> is the next word that comes out of my mouth. If it's science-based, if it's validated, and it also is weighted in the context of application. That's it. Beyond that, you know, the reason I think the fights are because it's individuals fighting each other. We, I don't, we don't care about that. For us, it's not the individual. Is the argument valid? Is the argument make sense? So when we judge data, it's at the molecular level, is fat bad? Yes. Um, is all fat bad? No, that doesn't even make sense. It depends on when, where, how much, and what type. So as I said, omega-3s are incredibly important. You know, uh, we, we, if you're getting into that, uh, chia and flaxseed, in fact, we did two massive comprehensive reviews for those people in the audience who are researchers. They know how hard comprehensive reviews are. Right. We did one on omega-3 and the developing brain for children or pre-birth and childhood, and then omega-3s and the aging brain. And there, we actually changed our position. Uh, we, we, we love the saying, to the best of our knowledge today, and the position before was, oh, absolutely no, no, uh, no supplements at all. But now we say that if you're not 100% sure about your source of omega-3, if you're not 100% sure that you're getting enough of it as a child for your child for during pregnancy or, or in aging, then we're not against the algae-based supplement at all. 
we don't sell anything. We're, you know, so we don't have to worry about people accusing us. Oh, you're, you know, there's no nothing we're selling. Um, uh, and, and that's why uh, for that population, if you're sure that you're getting enough, and that's a little difficult, and, and especially in children, then that's fine. But otherwise, supplements. So there's gradation. The other part that's important, that I love the fact that you brought this up. In certain population where we work, we are actually the only community-based specialists out there. We, we lead the largest brain health research initiative, community-based brain health initiative in the country, in beach cities and African-American communities and churches and other places. And if I go to these communities and say, oh, no meat, no fish, well, no meat in general, no chicken, red beef, no salt, no sugar, no fat, no polyunsaturated, no monounsaturated. Am I not? I'm just speaking to myself. It's ridiculous to be like that. It's 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 a, then it becomes about me and my platform. We always believe in small incremental changes. We don't we don't we hate two words, motivation and moderation. Motivation is a disempowering word. I'm a motivated person because I had a mother who was a beast. She was a designer, trained in Paris, spoke nine languages. And so that was, but even me and Aisha, who are incredible, we wake up at certain mornings, we're not motivated. Mm -hmm. So motivation is not something to grab onto. It doesn't have a mathematical model. Here's motivation. Small, measurable, incremental changes for in a direction accumulating creates a movement. That's motivation that you have control over because you can identify it, you can work towards it in small increments. The other one is moderation. Moderation is a word people try to use to get out of doing things. But so the small incremental changes we believe in, when we became plant-based, we were vegetarian for a year. And then when plant-based, our children grew up fully plant-based and they're doing amazingly well for those who are worried, I'm not boasting. Both of them graduated from high school at age 10, both took SAT for 90 percentile at age 11, vegans fully. So th that that's fine. But small incremental changes is at the foundation of, of true public health. Otherwise, we're just talking to ourselves. That's right. So I, I have one more question about fat. What role does fat play on someone's plate? Like what portion should someone have? Like, should it be their whole plate? Should it be a quarter? Should it be half? Yeah, that's difficult to tell because we don't have very um, specific information on that. You know, there have been multiple trials and there are multiple areas in the, in the world, the blue zones, where the fat content is different. The fat content in the dietary uh, patterns of someone living in Loma Linda is quite different from someone living in Okinawa, Japan, yet they both live a very healthy life. So there are multiple factors that are, uh, that are in, in interplay. And, you know, we're not going to make a bombastic statement about it because as scientists, you just have to make sure that you look at all the other variables that also play a role in health healthy living and longevity. But as a rule of thumb, I think if we focus on eating unprocessed foods, right, and a variety of them in good proportions, so, you know, most, most of our food consists of vegetables and fruits and whole grains and maybe added some nuts and seeds on top of it for those healthy fats, I think we're going to be okay. If anyone comes up with a formula to say this percent that, this percent carbohydrates, this percent fat, I don't think that's based on science. It just depends on the person, on their circumstances, on their vascular risk factors, on their needs. And it's it's a very dynamic ratio and formula that changes as we grow older. 
So it sounds like to me, you know, you kind of have to base that off of your individual needs and whether that's, you know, checking with a doctor, seeing how you feel. Like I personally feel best if I have, you know, the bulk of my meal is maybe like a complex carbohydrate mm-hmm. and then I have like a vegan protein source like organic tofu or edamame or tempeh or something like that. And then maybe I have like half an avocado with it or maybe I sprinkle on some hemp seeds or something like that. Right. Absolutely. That's yeah. actually a good good lunch right there. Yeah, it sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hungry. That's right. No, no, no we, we agree with you. The other element is actually that's pretty low fat. So that's good. Uh, we thought you were going to go. So we don't believe that fat should be a major proportion of the diet. Right. So what you described is actually perfect. Yeah. Uh, for people that should limit their fat significantly are people who are worried about calories, mm-hmm. who have end, end organ damage. You know, let's say they have triple vessel disease of the heart or even some disease of the heart or vascular disease um, or, or worried about it. Then, yes, you should limit it more. But for general population, absolutely. What you, what you just described there, I'll tell you this. If the rest of America ate just like the way you described it, we would reduce the cost of healthcare by 70% or more. Right. Absolutely. It's so wild. And I mean, that's what I try to do in my recipes is show people and especially young people, like even though I have such a range of people who follow my platform and make my recipes, I have more and more young people, 13, 14 year olds telling me that they want to be plant-based and that, you know, maybe their parents won't let them or something like that. But I try to make my recipes approachable and easy. And I want young people to go plant-based. So I want you to talk about the importance of preventative measures and starting eating healthy while you're young, because I do have a lot of young followers. Um, I feel like there's this narrative, especially when you're young, adults always say, oh, you're young, you can eat whatever you want. And that always bothered me for some reason, because all of a sudden you're not young anymore. Mm. And I feel this way. I'm 25. Like what? Like when do you stop saying that to someone? Absolutely. Um, I'm glad you asked that question because, um, you know, the way our healthcare system is designed and the way we think about healthcare is we think that disease starts all of a sudden when we hit in our 50s or 60s or 70s. And it's not like that. Our body continuously is in damage control mode. When we're born, uh, when we're teenagers, when we're in our 20s and 30s, we have our system built in a way where if something damaging occurs, say, for example, if we eat a really bad food that's high in sugar and bad fats, or for example, if we don't get enough sleep or if we don't exercise, our body starts fighting those inflammation and the processes that can damage our bodies, right? But when these systems get overwhelmed, that's when disease starts affecting us. We may not be able to see it right away. Like for example, we're neurologists and we deal with patients coming in with memory problems. Memory problems don't happen overnight. It's actually a very slow process. And now we know that the pathology or the damage to the brain actually exists 20 to 30 years before somebody is diagnosed with dementia. So the sooner we can start, the better. And brain health doesn't mean just prevention of disease. It means doing the things we need to do to be the best versions of ourselves because our brain is our emotions. It's our decision-making capacity. It's how we perceive ourselves in a community, in a society. It's our emotions. 
And if we eat the right foods, if we exercise, if we sleep, if we start implementing healthy lifestyles early on, then we are guaranteed to have a healthy brain moving forward. And we always say, I think it's a little selfish, when you take care of the brain, you've taken care of the rest of the body because the brain functions in the same pattern that the heart does or the kidneys do or the liver does. We have the same kind of arteries, the same kind of processes that function in the rest of the body. Um, so it's really, really important to uh, start implementing these healthy lifestyle. And it's about improving habits and creating healthy habits moving forward. But uh, that's beautifully stated, absolutely. Um, structurally, let me give you an idea of what's happening when we're growing up. So the brain is moving, doubling connections rapidly in the first nine months pre-birth and the first five years. In fact, it has more neurons at one point in the first five years than ever in the future. Then what happens is there's a pro process called apoptosis, programmed cell death, where it actually kills off the neurons and becomes less, but that's actually by design. So we're growing so rapidly in the first few years. Then what happens is the connections. The connections are happening well into our early 20s. And then what happens is myelination, the wrapping around those connections, which is critically important. Remember, MS is a disease where the wrapping is affected, right? The myelin is affected and many other diseases like that. And so all this process is happening well into your early 20s. Guess what? Your food doesn't just affect your mood or attention. Your food is affecting the development of that development. The development of neurons when you're eating bad food, it's not inconsequential in that development. When you're eating good food, it's actually consequential. When people bring up B12 deficiency or, or um, uh, choline or this kind of deficiency in, in a plant-based diet, it's ridiculous. That's not a problem. And if it is, you just take a supplement. But what the plant-based diet does is give you the complete clean proteins, all the nutrients, without the harm of saturated fat while the brain is developing rapidly. The, without the harm of um, uh, the, processed, the foods. processed foods that have create inflammation, create oxidation at a time where the brain needs clean environment the most. Mm -hmm. So we think that eating clean is the most important time of eating clean is during this development and then during the aging process. And why don't the people in their 20s and 30s, 30s don't see the outcome of it because they have some reserve, but they're eating away their reserve with bad food. Mm -hmm. Sorry, pardon the pun. So yeah, you might not be seeing the effect, but you're creating a hollow ground underneath that memory, which will collapse when you're in your 40s, 50s, and 60s. Exactly. So this is the time, especially for your children or teenagers. If there's anything more, there's nothing more important than food and clean food and a more complex variety of food for that brain, nothing more important. Well, love so is important as well, by the way. So you just mentioned processed foods and obviously eating a whole foods plant-based diet is optimal, but I think that there is a lot of confusion that all vegan equals healthy when it doesn't. And there are a lot of great vegan foods out there now, but they happen to be processed. Mm -hmm. Can you explain the effects of eating vegan processed food? And yeah. what are the worst types of vegan processed food? Absolutely. So uh, for transparency, we're vegans. And we said that earlier for multiple reasons, but we don't bring the word vegan when we talk about food, basically because of just what you said. 
um, vegan can be very unhealthy. It's the processed nature of food where you modify something and you either add to it or you know get things uh, get things away from it. So, for example, instead of eating brown rice, you know you're eating brown rice krispies that has a lot of salt and sugar and some preservative added to it, right? Or for example, um, instead of eating an apple, you're having a dessert that is that looks like apple or has an apple flavor to it, but a ton of butter and saturated fats and sugar and salt and everything like that. And the more processed it is, the more nutrient deficient a food is. Um, the most important thing to remember is when you eat foods, plant foods in its whole form, like Dean was saying earlier, the carbohydrates, the proteins, the vitamins, the fats, the minerals are bound in such a beautiful way. And these things work synergistically with each other. The body recognizes it very well, absorbs it, and releases those nutrients in a very timed fashion so that the brain and the rest of the body can use it properly as fuel, right? You're giving the right amount of fuel in the most beautiful form. But yeah, when you alter that, then the body goes into a frenzy because it doesn't know what to do with all that sugar. It doesn't know what to do with all that salt. So with, with the advent of the importance of taking care of our environment and veganism coming up, um, a lot of the foods have been modified. You know, the people actually have options to eat burgers and other processed foods that kind of remind them of the, the unhealthier versions or the animal-based versions that there was. And there's really nothing wrong to eat them once in a while, but we can't really call them health foods. We can't say that they're healthy. Um, and I think that's the most important thing to remember. Um, I'll flip that a little bit. It seems that although they're not healthy, but they're an amazing transition tool. Yeah, absolutely. So I had a cousin who was a football player. I mean, the whole macho, all, everything you can think of. I mean, the whole the whole character. Um, not that there was anything wrong with that character. I always have to be <laughs> Yeah. But uh, so for, forget about eating plant-based foods. It's all meat and steak and uh, forget, what is it? Forget the chow or something, whatever right. that, that, that steak place is. All, all about that. So we introduced him to uh, um, uh, one of these plant-based Impossible, impossible Burger. Yes. And he loved it. And a few months later, he actually came back and said, you know what? I'm going to start eating a little more plant-based. So it was a good introduction for somebody that was f so far to the other side. Do you see, we really believe in complexity, mm -hmm. but binary answers to life have always been problematic in the world, whether it's politics or anything else. If complexity, if somebody is very, very unhealthy and they really, really think that they cannot give up meat and that's their, their one thing, then yeah, use alternatives for now. Don't think they're healthy. They're a little healthier, by the way. Yes, they are. Even, even then they're a little healthier, but they can be an incredible transition an incredible help. Um, that's a little bit of a complexity I'm adding to this whole story. In our book, there is none of that. It's all healthy, uh, plant-based. In fact, we have, what is it, um, um, uh, more than possible burger? Totally possible. Totally possibly burger, which is <laughs> We made it, I healthy. saw that. We made a I love burger that. With, with beets, and we just called it totally possible. Well, it's more than that. Yeah, <laughs> it's, it's pretty good. Love that. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about alcohol. Hmm. I th I don't think this is something that's talked about enough. So can you explain the effects of alcohol on the brain? Absolutely. So, uh, you know, there's 
been a lot of studies and uh, dietary patterns that have included alcohol. And for years and years, it was thought that alcohol improved brain function and played a role in prevention of cognitive decline and Alzheimer's disease. But the latest information and the latest data shows us that the amount of alcohol that's good for the brain is zero. It really isn't neuroprotective at all. And specifically speaking about wine, people think that the resveratrol, which is a, an anti-inflammatory antioxidant in wine, is good for the brain. But the amount of resveratrol that you need to have for any of its neuroprotective effect is probably like cartons of wine on a daily basis. And you don't get that from a <clears> glass <throat> of wine. And it just doesn't make any sense to consume so much alcohol. It puts a lot of um, unnecessary load and pressure on the liver, which is your filter, which actually functions as um, controlling the enzymes and metabolisms of such important food products in our body. Um, and we believe that uh, when people drink alcohol, I think it's the conviviality or drinking it in a community with your friends and loved ones. And that anxiolytic uh, effect of uh, alcohol that seems to be helpful for the brain and it's not the alcohol itself. So if you can actually feel that love and connection and sense of community through something else, that's even better. Um, but we don't recommend any alcohol in our dietary patterns because we don't have any objective evidence for it. We, we, we say that if, you, if you're not drinking, don't start drinking for, for its health benefit. There is none. If you're drinking one cl glass of wine here and there, go for it. It's fine. If it's causing, if it's giving you uh, help with uh, your anxiety, if it's giving you help with uh, with your social situation, absolutely. But don't assume that it's doing any good because it's not. So what about carbs? Carbs, yeah. So there's really nothing wrong with carbs. As a matter of fact, um, glucose is the preferred fuel for brain. Um, Unfortunately, a lot of people and a lot of influencers in the Instagram space, they have vilified carbs. And, you know, the way they talk about carbs is donuts and sweet potatoes in the same category, which is so false. Um, processed carbohydrates or simple carbohydrates such as processed sugar, honey, um, any kinds of processed sugar, white actually bread. white bread, white pasta, um, although I like white rice sometimes, but you know anything that is processed increase, increases your glucose levels mm -hmm. rapidly. It's the rate at which the glucose levels in our circulation goes up, right? So if it's processed, there's no fiber that keeps it bound to our gut and it kind of crosses that barrier and raises our sugar levels. And that can affect our lipid metabolism, glucose metabolism, and could contribute to insulin resistance too. So staying away from processed carbohydrates is important. On the other hand, eating as much complex carbohydrates as possible is really important because that's our fuel. So things like sweet potatoes or brown rice or quinoa or barley or whole wheat bread, 100% whole wheat bread, those are amazing things. Um, so yeah, and of course it's situational. So for example, if somebody's trying to lose weight, say for example, right, or if somebody has abnormal, uncontrolled diabetes, they should be a little more careful with the amount of complex carbohydrates that they consume. But for the rest of the population, for younger individuals, making complex carbohydrates the core of the, their meals is the way to go. I completely agree. I love 
carbs, all things carbs, yes. but it is about making it healthier and maybe getting a chickpea pasta instead of a white pasta or just switching to having something like quinoa instead of having, you know, white rice, which you said you like to have sometimes, but it's like these little changes that can make a, a big difference. Absolutely. It's if we all focus on eating more fiber, which is in unprocessed carbohydrates, I think I think that would make it easier. People always talk about carbs, proteins, and fats, but the one thing that our nation and the world for that matter is deficient in is fiber. And fiber comes from unprocessed plant-based foods. So the more fiber we eat, the more uh, healthy gut bacteria we develop, the more uh, chemicals we produce that help our brain to maintain its function and reduce the risk of brain diseases, as well as just be very sharp and bright for the rest of our lives. So what do you two eat in a day? Can we get a little glimpse into your life? Maybe your typical breakfast, lunch, and dinner and your snacks in between I and dessert, if any. Yeah. Well, we have um, we have very busy lives. We're both neurologists. We work um, and we're raising two teenage kids, which in itself is a feat. And a dog. And a dog. Um, so what we do is we do a lot of prep work and uh, meal preps during the weekend. Mm -hmm. And for the rest of the week, I think it kind of looks like what you show to people on your page. That's why I absolutely love uh, your, your pictures and everything you've shown. Um, in the morning, I think our favorite breakfast is um, overnight oats. It's easy. Uh, we have everything ready on the kitchen counter and the kids add flax seeds and chia seeds and oats and some almond milk or cashew milk, whatever plant milk we have. And then in the morning we add berries, bananas, walnuts, and just kind of run out of the house to work. She has the mindful muffins, which are great for the kids with the omega, full of omegas. Yeah, we put the hemp seeds and chia seeds in the muffins. And you talked about chickpeas, chickpea omelets, yeah, which we is make amazing. Omelets. Yeah, yeah uh, oh, that sounds really good. Yeah, yeah, so lots of breakfast choices. Tofu um, burritos are favorite. The kids actually make tofu burritos. We wow. scramble tofu with some turmeric and spices and some beans and avocados and wrap it in a whole wheat tortilla. Um, and then for lunch, it's always a ginormous salad with some chickpeas or tofu and tempeh. And we make a lot of great dressings, which have saved our lives. Oh, the, the dressings have been a lifesaver. Yeah. I mean, you can feed the kids cardboard with those dressings. <laughs> I mean, they make everything taste better. So, so absolutely. So they eat a lot of pre-cut vegetables that are in, in containers in the fridge and they just dip in there. So, but in one fell swoop, you're giving them good, healthy uh, dressings, but most importantly, feeding them incredible amounts of fiber and fruits and vegetables. More vegetables. And for dinner, it's either a stew or a soup or a chili uh, with some whole wheat bread. Well, let's we do pizza. Well, yeah, pizza. So the pizza and some of the novelties are all during the weekend. We actually bought a really nice pizza oven, so we make amazing pizzas, and that's just a fun project. Lasagna, sushi. sushi. I'm coming to your house. <laughs> Love our to have pizzas you. are amazing. You you have to come here. We we live in LA, and 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 the sushis. The sushis are amazing. Yeah, we make I mean, a lot of sushis. We put mushrooms and avocados and different kinds of vegetables in there. So there's really no sense of deprivation. Food can be a lot of fun. Love it. It sounds very similar to how I eat. Yes. Now, I would love for you to tell everyone about your new book, The 30-Day Alzheimer's Solution, because a lot of those recipes that you're talking about are in the new book. So tell us everything. Thank you so much, Danielle. Yes, so we focused on uh, making food easy, 
healthy and delicious. That's the goal. And in our new book, The 30-Day Alzheimer's Solution, uh, we have more than 75 recipes. Even though the cover says Alzheimer's Solution, I think the goal of the book is to show people that they can live a cognitively vibrant life all of their lives and they don't have to buy anything. They don't have to pay for anything. They just have to make some small incremental changes in their lives to implement healthy habits. And food is such an important part of it. Um, and all of the profits and the proceeds of the book go to the Healthy Minds Initiative, which is a non-for-profit that uh, with a sole uh, goal and determination to spread this message of hope and empowerment to different communities around the country and around the world that people can avoid devastating diseases of the brain and can live a very healthy life. So everyone can find a ton of recipes in this book. I have already like been like bookmarking it and looking through it. I also, one of my favorite um, pages of the book was the spectrum that you had that kind of showed a visual of foods that are like a total no-go, detrimental to brain health. Then you have things that are neutral and then you show foods on the spectrum that actually support your brain health. So I really liked seeing that visual, but that was just like a small detail that I really appreciated. <laughs> Thank you, Danielle. Thank you so much. Thank you. Everything that we've written here, we hold ourselves you know, accountable. It's based on the latest science. And we always say, um, with new data, we will always um, update this information. But we're really happy that, you know, even though nutrition sounds very uh, confusing at times to people, we have enough information that tells us what is good for our brain and what is not. And I'm really, we feel privileged to have that opportunity to share it with everyone. So I just have a couple more questions and then we're going to do our little wrap-up activity that I do with all of my guests. One being, when is it too late to reverse Alzheimer's? When somebody has fulminant Alzheimer's. When somebody is in the thralls of Alzheimer's, we will never make the claim that you can reverse Alzheimer's. <clears throat> Some of the uh, publishers there, people who've written books about Alzheimer's, they've actually made those claims just to pick off uh, people who are most desperate and make money off of them. That's unethical. And we were told that we would sell millions of more books if we just made even a hint of that claim. We can't. That's that's unethical. That's not that. But anything short of that, even at the, at the boundary, which is called mild cognitive impairment, right at the edge of dementia, that can be reversed. And that's not just our research. Multiple lines of research have shown that at that stage, you can reverse uh, Alzheimer's, uh, pre prevent Alzheimer's from happening. So anybody can benefit from this, short of somebody who's already developed fulminate Alzheimer's. So um, this is a book for general public from childhood to adult. I know it says Alzheimer's, but it's for brain improvement, as Aisha said. Got it. And we have a couple questions that my audience sent in. I picked a few of them that I thought were interesting. A couple quick tips to increase concentration. Focus. So I'll get, I'll take this one and the food ones are, I'll, I'll leave to you. So um, focus is the gatekeeper of consciousness. Focus is so critical, especially as we get older. One of the first cognitive domains that are affected is focus. And part of that is physiologic. The other part is life. And <clears throat> you can do several things to increase focus. One is get rid of the concept of multitasking. <clears throat> there is no such thing as multitasking. It's doing multiple things badly or poorly. Instead of that, it doesn't mean you don't do multiple things. Finish, do every task in a clear increment of activity from beginning to end where you actually feel you, you finished it. Whenever you, when you get used to that kind of behavior, it opens up your entire focus 
incredibly. So, so break behaviors down to small increments of achievable activity. And if you can actually physically do a check of a box, that creates that dopamine release, that motivation and all of that. That's one thing. The second thing you can do is, of course, mindfulness and breathing, mindful breathing. That's critical. The third thing for focus is food again. Food affects focus. High energy foods like processed foods, sugar, and, and, and fats, because they're high energy, they affect your focus, especially when you're consuming them chronically over a long period of time, that affects focus. So <laughs> we have multiple areas in the book <clears throat> that speaks to this, as well as the course that comes to it with it that for people who sign up early. But the reality is those three things are central. And what about spirulina? So one of my followers wants to know, is spirulina beneficial for brain health? Is it worth buying it? Uh, there is no objective evidence. We don't have any evidence to s show us that spirulina is uh, is healthy. Mm -hmm. If people are concerned about their omega-3 fatty acid intake, I think we have enough information from different dietary patterns that things like flax and chia seeds, including them in your diet, is good. But spirulina being ex expensive and us not having enough data on it, I think I might say just kind of you know step away from it from now until we have enough information. And what fruits are helpful for brain health? Well, that's an easy one, berries. We actually have information on populations eating berries and reducing the risk of cognitive impairment. And it, it makes sense when you consume berries, um, they are one of the most phytonutrient rich foods in the world. Um, and especially blueberries and blackberries, the one that have darker color. They fight oxidation, they fight inflammation, they have an amazing amount of different vitamins and minerals that the brain just consumes and functions better at. All fruits are great, but you know, as far as the type of food that stands out, it's berries. I love that. And even making a small change, like everyone always makes fun of me because I bring my own snacks to the movie theater. Like I'll bring air pop popcorn in my purse. Like I once brought my own like guacamole. But one of my favorite things is to go and buy a carton of blueberries before the movie because it's just like popcorn. And that's like the easiest way to like get so much fruit in. <laughs> I love that. No, no, I, I just want to focus on that, that behavior. I'm, I'm a behaviorist. But so you took something that's incredibly harmful, which is oil-laden popcorns, you know, in the, in the butter, middle. Yeah. butter, and I mean, uh, and salt, by the way, salt and oil, uh, it, and and it's causing inflammation, it's causing all kinds of damage, and you flipped it with one act, with one meal. People were worried about pills. To, for, this that one act is been more beneficial than any pill out there because you took something incredibly harmful and switched it to something incredibly beneficial. I love that about what the, the, your your advice there. Thank you. Yes, that's like, I, I don't care if I embarrass whoever I'm with. I went to a movie with my brother. I brought a container of jackfruit. He was mortified. <laughs> but you got to do what you got to do. We like, love you're going to stick already. up the whole movie theater. <laughs> no, we, we love you already for, for all of that's that. That's amazing. So... Thank you so much. This has been amazing. I have a couple questions that I ask all of my guests. These are just like fun, quick, get to know you questions. Sure. Are you ready? Of course. What would your last meal on earth be? Oh, gosh. That's a hard one. I think mine would be the key lime pie that I make. I make a key lime pie from cashews that is just wonderful with a walnut date crust. Um, it's a new food that Aisha just made, and I'm not even a big fan of this big category. It's a jackfruit tacos, the way she makes them. 
I promise you that I've never eaten anything that good in my life. And this, I've never eaten this whole, even the kids said that. That makes me so happy. Yeah, that, that, definitely. I want to die with that taco in my hand. Well, <laughs> with, with the, with the, with the, the, uh, the covering of the taco in my fingers because I don't want any of it to be left behind. <laughs> and what is one thing you can't live without in your morning routine? Oh, um, <clears throat> I like my cup of coffee and I add some almond milk to it. I love my coffee. I, I will. Uh, I, I like doing some exercises, so push-ups or pull-ups or something like that. It just invigorates it. Even if it's not a lot, it makes me feel like it's kind of a lie, but it makes me feel like I did something. So I love that, that 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 act of exercise at the beginning. I hope it's more than an act, but there it is. Yeah. What is something quirky about each of you that people would be surprised to find out? Oh, there's a lot of quirks. Because <laughs> you go first, Dean. With me, everything is quirky because I try to live outside of the box. Um, I, I talk about the fact that everything else is management, leadership. And, and change is in, in, in the uncomfortable and in, in living in the dis- comfort, comfort with discomfort is the most important way people can live. So I try to make things fun and out of the box. So quirky things, I talk to everybody on the street. Um, I, 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 you know, I, I create conversations with everybody I meet. Um, uh, and and, I, and I, I also express love to everybody I meet uh, genuinely because I think those are the two important human attributes. Outside of that, everything is secondary. It's ability to speak openly and fearlessly and ability to show love openly and fearlessly. Mine is singing. Um, I grew up in a very musical family. And so when we go to malls and there's, you know, someone standing there uh, with a guitar singing songs or trying to get, you know, like get some change and get attention, I go stand next to them and I start singing with them. I just love that. She's phenomenal. Oh, my God. I would do anything to be a fly on the wall in that situation. Uh, Danielle, she is so good. Her, I'm a terrible musician. She is so good Aww. that for American College of Lifestyle Medicine, several thousand people. Oh, yeah, the ACL conference. We were the keynote speakers. And they asked mm-hmm. us, uh, you know, can the shares I sing? I said, I don't say. said, no, no, not you, Dean. You can sit. And so Aisha, and they never have this in the, these conferences. Aisha and Sophie sang the prayer, you know, the one that Bocelli and 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 I realized realized the power of music where all these people from Harvard and Columbia, they were crying. I said, okay, um, that's something that I will never experience. So, yeah, music's amazing. Oh, my God, that's amazing. Um, Okay, if you had to pick one form of exercise to do for the rest of your life, what would it be? One form of exercise? Um, I think for me, it would be squats. <laughs> for me, it would be bicycling, biking. Yeah. yeah. We live on well, the beach and we bike um, from Redondo to Santa Monica on a regular basis. And it's a transformative experience, you know, right on the water uh, uh, biking. It's completely transformative for me. Sounds perfect to me. And what is your favorite grocery store? Um. My favorite grocery store is a local one that is run by a family and we just go there and buy our vegetables and fruits there. We would like to support them. Although, you know, it just depends on where we are, but we like supporting our local grocers. Okay, now for the last activity, we're gonna do would you rather foodie edition. So I guess I'll just ask and then, you know, each of you can answer separately. Are you ready? Yeah. Peanut butter or almond butter? Uh, Me, almond butter. Peanut butter. Pasta or pizza? Pizza. Pizza. <laughs> Tofu or tempeh? Tempeh. Tempeh. 
Spinach or kale? Spinach. Kale. <laughs> Pancakes or waffles? Ooh, that's waffles. a hard one. Um, it depends. I really like the um, the apple cinnamon pancakes we made the other mm-hmm, day. So it's, mm-hmm. yeah, I'd say pancakes. A, that's a tough one, yeah. Smoothies or juices? Smoothies. Oh, smoothies. Lemons or limes? Lemon. La- uh, limes? Uh, to be honest, I, I don't, I wouldn't know the difference, <laughs> but yeah, limes, I guess. <laughs> hummus or guacamole? Uh, hummus. Hummus, for sure. Pesto or marinara? Pesto. Yes. Oh, unanimous one there. Yeah. Um, mild or spicy? Spicy. spicy. I was mild until I married her. I converted him. Oh, I'm very spicy now. <laughs> oh, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? It's funny. Recently, well, growing up, my mom hates spicy food. She doesn't want an ounce of spice in her meal. My dad, on the other hand, like give him all the Indian food in the world. He yeah. loves every kind of spice. But growing up, since my mom didn't like spicy foods, she never gave us spicy foods. And she would tell us, oh, you're not going to like that. It's spicy. Yeah. So I avoided it growing up. But recently, as an adult, I'm obsessed with all things spicy. I, I, um, for some reason can handle a lot of heat. Like I'll be eating the same spicy food as my fiance and he is dripping sweat. He's like fighting through it. And I'm like, I don't know why you're sweating. Like this is so good. That's awesome. Yeah. The same with us. I mean, I, I love it, but I'm still dripping with sweat. But yeah, my head's That's itching so from all the, yeah. Spice. Well, thank you. This has been so informative. I I have so many more questions, but maybe we'll have to bring you on for a part two. Um, everyone has to go get the 30-Day Alzheimer's Solution. Incredible book. Highly recommend. Where can everyone find you on social media? Thank you, Danielle. We so enjoyed our time being here with you, you and uh, so grateful <clears throat> for everything you're doing. The book, um, yeah, so we are Sherzai MD. Sherzai is our last name and then MD. S-H-E-R-Z-A-I. MD. MD. At Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. And our website is sherzaimd.com. Would love to connect with anyone who has any questions for us. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Thank you so much. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Be sure to rate, comment, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time. Bye.